Hello, and welcome to another episode of Coffee and Code. I'm really excited to have a special guest here on the show with us today, Alex Westner. I met Alex at the AWE conference last year. He is a founder and CEO, amongst many other things. Um, But he's here to talk to you about AR and some innovative approaches that his company is using to make the world more accessible. But without further ado, welcome to Coffee and Code, Alex. Ashley, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's exciting. It's I'm I'm always humbled to be invited to talk and share about our company. Thank you. Thank you. It's interesting because I feel like you know it's 2023. There's been so much momentum already in the emerging tech space. And you yourself just got back from CES. So we're going to talk a little bit about, about that in our show today. But um, I wanted to kind of dive into to you. I uh, want to share with the audience here a little bit about your background because I think it's fascinating um, that you began your career in engineering, researching microphone arrays and the cocktail party problem at the MIT Media Lab. That's pretty cool. Yes. Yeah. I guess I was, um, you know, in some ways lucky. I always, I had an engineering mindset. I actually wanted to be a rock star when I was in high school, but I didn't really have the musical talent, but I was definitely a bit more of a, of a math nerd. So I thought, well, maybe I could make the products that musicians use. And that was what really got me interested in audio and music technology. Uh, I found my way through, um, an, electrical engineering degree, a music minor. I made my way to the MIT Media Lab and I was put on a project to solve the cocktail party problem. I mean, this was 30, how how am I dating myself? 20 something years ago, 25 (laughs) years ago. It was very difficult problem, but the cocktail party problem for, for people who aren't familiar, it's, you know, in a cocktail party scenario, you have a lot of sounds. You've got music, people talking, glasses clinking, all kinds of sounds and humans have the ability to focus on one sound over another. But if you play that set, that soundscape for a computer and you say, what is happening? The computer would be totally clueless. They would not be able to pick out the, the speech from the noise, from the music or anything like that. So we were interested in how do we get computers to actually understand sound through that cocktail party problem. And I did a master's thesis on it, and the conclusion was, yeah, this is really hard. We have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes that is that is the conclusion when you're kind of early trying to solve a problem is you you, you kind of you, you test a lot of ideas and you fail a bit, but you come out with a learning that gets you to the next step. Absolutely. It's never a linear path. As we all know, it goes in many different directions, some expected, some unexpected, right? Yeah. And I, I want to also share here with the audience about a specific niche that you right here are, are serving with what you're doing and how you've been searching for something more deep, 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 deeper and meaningful. Mm. And um, it's interesting because I don't think people realize the numbers behind this, but mm. 1.5 billion people around the world struggle with the effects of hearing loss. And that is a large portion of the population. It is hard to even fathom, but it's it's even more than large. It's almost like a mainstream problem. It's not even a niche. It's 
in the U.S. alone, it's it's about one out of every six adults. So if you were in a group of people, about ten people, two or one or two or three, maybe even three of them actually have some degree of hearing loss, and it's something that people who have it just don't even talk about. And so it's this widespread problem that is under addressed and under discussed. Um, Agreed. Agreed. And it's nice to see some progress though, with, for example, you know, Instagram putting in captions, baking those in, um, YouTube baking in captions. So these platforms are starting to build in tools, but that's not to say the captions are perfect. So we've seen what's what we call craptions. craptions yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a credit to Merrill Evans for that term. Oh, yeah. yes. um, and, you know, it, it, I want listeners to really kind of think about this for a second. If you're in a cocktail party and let's say you have hearing loss or you're deaf, Imagine not being a part of that conversation, not feeling included. That can be very isolating. So you were solving this problem with your innovation. So tell us more about Xandra glasses and why you created them. So we are, are we're, we're bringing to market a- AR smart glasses with really just a singular purpose of providing conversational captions for people with hearing loss. It's really a single purpose device, and that's all it does, just to simplify the AR technology itself and that whole experience, we're just solving this one problem. When, when you know, given my audio background, I started thinking about this space. I researched hearing loss to learn that, oh, it's a really difficult problem to correct. And even if you are able to pipe in the most perfectly tuned audio into the best fitted pair of hearing aids, some people still won't be able to understand because Hearing loss, it turns out, is also a neurological problem. It's not just some physical problem that you can correct acoustically. It's also something that our brains start to uh, struggle with. And so we learn that hearing aids, while they can be effective in many situations, often aren't. Um, not only are they, do they not always work, there's a stigma associated with hearing aids. There's a physical discomfort that people talk about. There's a price factor. Um, and so we we learned about this concept, um, sensory substitution, which is how do you substitute sound for sight for sound or sound for sight? Or how do we use other senses to supplement uh, what we where we may be deficient? And when we the so we looked at how do we create visual information for people with hearing loss? And when The other thing we learned was that when we asked people with hearing loss, what do you do when you can't hear? The first answer is usually, well, I try to find captions. It's on TV or movies, it's subtitles, on on video calls, it's it's captions, on on phones now, it's caption apps or built-in captions. But when you're out in the world having a conversation, you just don't have that. And so we basically combined the the problem of hearing loss with the solution people wanted, which is captions, and then using AR to deliver the captions in a uh, scenario where they just don't have them, which is just out in the world. Which is pretty amazing because I feel like that is where a lot of AR and mixed reality devices are wanting to go to solve that problem. And for for those listening, your device literally looks like a consumer-friendly wearable 
pair of glasses that you would see anyone wearing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> there we go. I love it. Yes. And <laughs> see, it's so important to also let the audience know the um, frame of view within your glasses there. It's quite wide to be able to see those captions, right? Right. right. Yeah. So we are, um, as a small startup, we're not actually creating glasses ourselves. (laughs) That was something we learned by customer testing was we didn't have to make the perfect piece of hardware. We tested with commercially available glasses and learned, hey, these are great. So we're partnering with Vuzix initially and we're using their blades and putting our speech-to-text system on top of the blades and delivering that experience. Um, the blades have a single projector in the right eye where you can adjust captions. We're also looking at their shield model that has two projectors. So we could either use both eyes for a bigger display or have the wearer choose left eye or right eye if they want to save battery. But that the higher-end version gives gives consumers more options to how they want to experience the captions. Absolutely. And I I saw an interesting statistic. Um, 80% of people that have captions turned on 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 at least Meta's suite of social media do not identify as being deaf or hard of hearing, Mm. which is interesting. So that's something for people to take away. That's that is an example of inclusive design, for example, translation. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I had some interesting um, online debate with Merrill about about translation. I mean, Merrill taught me about the curb test, which was when, um, you know, uh, curb ramps were first installed for wheelchairs, wheelchair ramps as part of an ADA law. Um, think about how they're used today. They're used by people pushing strollers. They're used by rollerbladers, cyclists, uh, delivery people pushing carts. I mean, those curbs that were built as a compliance, as an ADA compliant feature for accessibility are now a mainstream need. Um, that's fascinating. So I, I just love that idea of, of kind of what you're saying is, is captions as a accessibility means are, are fantastic but we're but yes all the social media companies are learning wow everybody needs them because they're watching videos in places where they can't actually listen they're kind of quietly watching at home or <laughs> during school or on the bus and they want to actually have some privacy um, so they benefit from using those captions as well absolutely so i think a good analogy here is like the glasses are your curb cuts 2.0 yeah. of you know bridging yeah. that digital gap yeah yeah, the other interesting thing I hadn't realized, you brought up translations. I I always thought translation was more of like, a well, that's a nice, interesting business consumer use case, but also learn that one could argue that translation is also an accessibility feature. If, if there's a barrier to communication because of a language barrier, because people speak different languages, then you can argue that that's actually you know, an, an impedance to people getting together and, and being uh, uh, leveled up and, and able to to work with each other, talk to each other, socialize, et cetera. So I think that's super interesting. Absolutely. And I want to hear a little bit more about why you're passionate about what you do. I know there's probably an origin story here that we <laughs> may not know about. So please share. Yeah. The, the origin story, yeah, it is, it's, it's personal, but surprising. So 
almost like, yeah, I guess several years ago, I was diagnosed with macular degeneration. So some distortion in my central vision. Now, my vision is, is pretty good. I, I see very well. I have you know, larger fonts on my screens. But as an audio person, I was thinking, well, geez, if this gets worse over the next 10 or 20 years, I'm going to have to rely more and more on sound. And I then I kind of put my entrepreneur hat on and I thought, well, are there products I could make? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Making um, audio and sound products and voice UI for, for vision loss. And then I did a lot of research and found, wow, there's a lot of companies working on this already. So personally, I felt great. Uh, there are technologists that are trying to solve this problem. I feel good. But as a business person, like there's really nothing else I can add. So then I thought, what about the opposite? And I started looking at hearing loss. And I started looking at what about providing visual information for hearing loss. And then I learned that hearing loss was a much, much, much bigger problem and that almost no one was trying to solve it in this way. So I thought, okay, this is, this is the business idea. Let's, let's look at it. Let's pursue it. And that's how we are where we are. <laughs> so it started wow. as a, it started as, as me thinking about having the opposite problem, but, you know, thinking about back to the cocktail party problem, it's almost like, well, of course, this is kind of what I was supposed to be doing, you know, helping computers to understand sound. And now we're at Xander, we're trying to help people better understand sound. I love that you're really connecting your diverse background with where you are now. Um, I don't think anyone would would imagine that playbook to to <laughs> unfold the way that it did. And thank you so much for sharing your lived experience and how it's informed your work. I think that's something really important for people to realize as well. That is an incredibly valuable asset as an entrepreneur to inform your work with your own lived experience, or if you're building something, include people with lived experience. Mm, thank you. Yeah. I think um, the, if, if you don't, you know, there's um, a lot of startups fail because I think the founders have an idea and they're so passionate about the idea and they do everything they can to bring that idea to life. And they never test it. They never question it. <laughs> they never actually are humble enough to say, well, what if our idea is wrong? Um, they sort of mis misconstrue passion for uh, kind of uh, tunnel vision in a way. And I don't know. I think, I think just having that humility to not just not, you know, there's a mantra of love the problem, not the solution. So instead of falling in love with your own idea, fall in love with the customer problem because you might solve it in different ways. And I think that's important. But I also say, well, yes, love the problem, not the solution, but also love the customer, not the problem, because you have to go even one step before that to really, if you don't love your customer, you're going to get aggravated by your business pretty quickly. And so, um, but in, in getting to know the customer, you might even discover other problems that you can solve or deeper problems or um so so i think it's just it's almost like continuing to go further and further into the core of what the heck you're trying to do um is so is so important to i don't know staying alive <laughs> surviving as a as a company absolutely especially in today's day and age where technology is just rapidly advancing in front of our 
you know, ourselves. And um, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think that is where some people do have some issues of like being able to poke holes in their ideas, being able to be comfortable with that. Um, that's a big one. And, I, and you're so right though, of like having that tunnel vision of getting excited about it. You can only, it, someone said a great quote, and I think this aligns with what you're saying as well. Being successful and running a business are two very different things. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I think the thing that helped me a lot was I got into um, a very, a, well, a good mentorship program. There, are, <laughs> A bad mentorship program can destroy you, but a good one uh, can, can, you know, genuinely accelerate you. And I had one particular mentor who was very good at challenging my assumptions, you know, and I always thought of myself as very good at, at um, getting customer feedback and interviewing customers. And he was listening to where I, where I was at the time. And he said, you're not talking to enough customers. You don't know your customers well. And I felt a bit defensive. I'm like, come on, of course I do. I do more than most companies. But after I got over that, I said, okay, fine, I will go out and I'll, I'll set a goal and we'll talk to 10 customers in the next three weeks and see what we learned. And, and he was right. We did that exercise. We actually learned a lot more than I, than I imagined. I, I relearned some things I didn't know. I mean, so he was right. Um, but a good mentor will, will, will uh, kind of get you to challenge your assumptions in a healthy way. Bad, I've had bad mentors that... Um, can throw their weight around and their authority around in a way that sort of make you question yourself. And then it turns out they're actually wrong. That can actually take a longer time to undo, but um, yeah. I'm glad you shared that because I think that's a good reminder to folks that it's okay to exit a mentorship relationship if it's not serving you. Mm. Right. You want to be intentional there, but I want to, and I want to ask you, how did you come about this mentor? Was it a formal program? Okay. Yeah. I, um, I applied to everything when we first started the company. I was just looking for any opportunities that were going to help accelerate us. And and as an MIT alum, there were a couple of good programs available to me. So uh, I applied to I applied to one of those and, and got into that program. That was very good. Um, but I, I've gotten into a few more uh, around that same time. I guess I was just over overly eager to get some support and advice. And um, yeah, I didn't even, I didn't realize at the time that there were, there were bad mentorships, bad accelerators. I just assumed that they're all there to be helpful and they're all smarter than me and they have more experience. But um, uh, I know that now you just have to be a little mindful, a little bit careful of, of who you get advice from. Um, so it's kind of towing a line between being humble enough to know you need advice, um, but being aware enough to know when you may not be getting good advice. That's tough. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's where it's important to know like your mission, vision, and values and run everything through that. And if it doesn't meet those criteria, then, you know, yeah. shift a little bit. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about something here. So CES just happened, right? Um, and something really big happened there because Xander was actually awarded the Consumer Technology Association Foundation Award. And yeah. I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit more about that because that's a huge deal. Thank you. Yeah, we, um, I guess I was on the, so the CTA is the company that puts on CES and CT, and I was on their mailing list, I guess, 
And around August or September, I got emails saying, hey, are you going to go to CES? And I thought, oh, maybe we should go to CES. And I thought, how the heck are we going to get to CES if we don't have any money? So I started researching, how do we get to CES? And I found that the CTA Foundation, that's the philanthropic arm of, C, of the CTA, they had a contest for accessibility startups. So if you're in the accessibility space, you can apply. And winner, they awarded five companies a free booth. And so we applied and, and yeah, we were one of the five companies that were awarded a free booth at CES, plus a little stipend to help with some of the expenses. So that was a huge honor. Um, CTA and Steve Ewell, they were an amazing organization. And once we heard the name, now we see it everywhere. Um, but I hadn't heard of them before, but they, during the entire show, did an amazing job of just promoting all the companies working in this accessibility space and health tech. And it was really um, awesome to see so many cool companies that were supported by this very important um, organization at the show. They, while they were there, so we won that award to get there. Then there was an, a CES pitch competition um, also open to anyone who was I don't know what the limit is. I think you had to be sort of a startup and you had to be doing something in the accessibility or impact space. But we entered that. There was nine start, nine or 10 startups in that one. And we won the uh, audience choice award for the CES pitch competition. So that was award number wow, two. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> Bravo. Yeah. Oh, it's actually hanging right behind me. There's oh, the- very cool. I love that. Yeah, amazing. Cool. Also, <laughs> I want people to realize that it takes thousands and thousands of dollars to go to these trade shows and to, you know, the time, the effort, like as an entrepreneur, that's a significant investment. So it's incredible that you were able to get there through the foundation award and be awarded again. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty, that was surprising and, and, and awesome. Um, that was very cool. So it was, uh, it's kind of cool to win the audience choice award too. No kidding, especially especially now because stakes are high for audience choice awards, especially yeah. at a show like CES. But thank you so much for sharing about the pitch competition and what they were doing because it's great to hear that such a large um, yeah. entity cares about accessibility. Yeah, I would encourage, I've been sort of shouting the praises of the CTA Foundation. I, I they're very well, uh, A, they're just super nice people. B, their mission is incredible. C, they're just super connected, um, just being part of CTA. And they have some funding and, and the means to really promote companies that are that are doing well and doing good. I just think it's a great organization and everybody should know about them. <laughs> yeah. I'll be sure to link some of that information in the show notes along with your website as well. Um, but what are you working on right now, uh, Xander, that you can talk about? Um, right now we are trying to get our products to market. So we're we were raising a pre-seed round that is closing on Monday. Uh, well, it'll be the when this podcast airs, it will have closed two days prior to the airing oh, of this wow. podcast. <laughs> so that's great. That actually will help us um, convert some some of us who are part-time into full-time. It helps me hire more engineers. So we'll be able to get this product to market in the spring is our target. 
Um, we're starting a pilot with the VA next month. So uh, for veterans, when we also when we started researching hearing loss, we learned that the VA is the single largest purchaser of hearing aids in the whole country. 20% really? of all hearing aids sold in the U.S. are sold to the VA. Hearing, uh, tinnitus, and, and hearing loss are the one and two uh, health problems amongst veterans. I mean, you think about the guns and the explosions and the machinery. You know, when you really think about it, it's like, oh, of course, hearing loss has got to be a huge problem. And, and it is. And we got into a program where we're, we have access to clinics and veterans to give us feedback on our products. And so mm. we're going to... Um, we're kicking this off in the Pittsburgh location in February. We'll be on site um, testing our glasses with veterans and getting their feedback. And there's three other locations around the country that'll follow up. But that's exciting um, to be able to to go out and, and talk to veterans and see if our glasses can make a difference with them. Absolutely. That's transformative, honestly. Hmm. Um. Yeah, it's funny thinking about CES. We had another strange, here's a strange story. Um, we also were invited to the, so the AARP, it's another interesting organization. They've been pushing this age tech initiative. So not necessarily accessibility, but more longevity where accessibility is often a part of that. But we were invited to, to pitch in their AARP competition Mm-hmm. Um, with a number of other startups, but it was hosted at a restaurant after the show on a Friday night, and Ken Jong hosted it. He was the MC. Oh my gosh! I think I saw yeah. pictures on LinkedIn from this, and I was like, "What is this? What's happening here?" So yeah, so Ken Jong of the of the Hangover and Community <laughs> um, is basically MCing this open mic kind of startup pitch competition thing, and there's five startups. We each had. Uh, two minutes or three minutes, I forget. It was something really short to pitch our idea. Yeah. And so the director of ARP comes out, introduces the program. Thanks everybody. The director introduces Ken Jong. Ken does his like really crazy over the top stand-up routine. He's about, it's about a three minute routine. And then they had told me I was going to be first. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there at the front of the stage and Ken is doing his routine. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to follow that. How the heck am I going to follow Ken <laughs> Jung, who's doing stand up in Vegas? At a, you know, like this, is, this is insane. So, um, yeah, I can say that I got to follow uh, Ken Jung in Vegas at an open mic night. But, That's amazing. That's a, definitely a highlight moment and a good a, icebreaker fun fact. Yes, that is a fun fact. Um, we didn't win, but it was memorable. And, and uh, you did it. We did it. We did it. And um, we, we represented at the AARP booth the next day. Nice. Um, really great people. And, and uh, we're being, cons- hopefully we're being considered and favorable for their, to join their age tech collaborative, which also is a very interesting um, organization to look into. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to hear more about your two minute pitch though. I think that's that right there is a feat in itself. Like how do you encapsulate everything about Xander into two minutes? That, it's, that... it's really, it's uh it's really storytelling. I think mm. it was, it was actually three minutes. Um, but it's, it's, you know, the, the, what got us the audience choice award was exactly what you're saying is how do you tell a story in a way that people are going to remember? And I think mm-hmm. 
that is such an important um it's more than a skill it's a it's an important capability a startup needs is to be able to tell a story really quickly in a way that people get it and and i think um my my co-founder is our chief storyteller and <laughs> her background is in is in uh history writing she's worked in libraries archives she's a writer published um so she's our uh chief storyteller um I've learned a little bit about that through product positioning as a product manager. I mean, if you can't get those stories out in a way that people understand them, uh, you're, you're, you almost don't have a chance. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. It takes a lot of iteration practice. It goes back to the mentorship. It goes back to testing. You test your stories as much as you test your, your product ideas. Um, there's a, there's a startup in our space that, is self-funded and i think they we have gotten battle tested because we've had to pitch to so many investors and we've had mm. to refine our business model and our story so much that it's made us better mm. i think if you haven't had that as much um you're kind of at a disadvantage like i thinking about emerging tech entrepreneurs and founders um i think it's it's a fun idea to just start pitching um, and get that feedback because you're going to learn a lot about yourself and your story and what's working and what's not that is really going to guide the business and, and, and who you are. Absolutely. That that's really good. I wanted to mention, depending on where listeners are living in the country, in the United States, at least we have global listeners as well, but Google has a program called like Google startups and they do these little pitch competitions locally in different communities. There was one here in Oklahoma city and I think it had like 30 entrepreneurs come give like five minute pitches each, just like one after another. And, uh, I could tell that was very beneficial for, for a lot of them. Mm. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's so important to learn how to talk about what you're doing. True. To sell it. And cause you don't have a lot of time to, to yeah. get that point across. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this leads me in, kind of into my next question, Alex, what kind of advice would you have for listeners who are maybe interested in creating a startup in the uh, emerging technology space? Yeah. I think in emerging tech startups and emerging tech, just need to uh, test everything, every every aspect of your idea. You've talked about lean startup methodologies. I'm a big fan of that. So if you're thinking about your lean canvas and your customers and problems and solution and you know cost centers and revenue and key metrics and and advantages, you need to test every aspect of that whole business uh, constantly, continuously, and um, the hard part is is setting up experiments that you could actually fail. Mm. Uh, you kind of want to make it easier for yourself so that your ideas pass and your ideas are going to get to the next round. But if you can really set up an experiment where you may be wrong, you may be proven um, that one of your theories doesn't work, uh, it actually helps the business survive to the next round. So it's counterintuitive. Um, it's a bit of a leap of faith, but it's really just constantly testing um, all of those hypotheses. So important. I think another thing is we've learned is um, you have to build alliances. Um, as a small startup, you're kind of alone. And I think some of the biggest 
wins we've had in Xander has been from being able to align ourselves with bigger organizations. So like the VA, uh, the CTA Foundation, AARP, those are just three that we've talked about. But um, being uh, connected to some of these organizations is a huge accelerant and it's a big validator. Um, but I think it, uh, I think if you, you have to learn to work with other partners in order to, to become part of an ecosystem, you have to be that kind of collaborative, um, entity, not just be like a lone wolf. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Community over competition. Yeah. I like to think about that way. And some people don't think about it that way, but yeah. Yeah, well, that's interesting too. Also, reach out to your competitors. <laughs> so, we've yeah. also got to know our competitors well too, and it's it's uh, it's it's sort of fun to do. It was scary to do at first, but it's actually um, some. You have to sort of take a step back and realize, okay, there's a few startups in the space trying to do the same thing, and the space is enormous, and we're all you know actually competing with Apple and Google and Meta anyway. Oh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> Uh, you know, it doesn't make sense to be kind of ruthless about it. It makes sense to be more friendly and, um, yeah. So that's good advice. Thank you for, for sharing that. And I think that we've covered a lot of good ground today in terms of your journey, your background journey, non-conventional paths into technology and entrepreneurship and the benefits of having a mentor. I myself have a mentor as well, and I can attest a, such a valuable relationship regardless of what industry you're in, find a mentor. Um, and if you don't have a program, that's okay. With with very thoughtful planning, you can reach out to people um, on LinkedIn and you know see if that goes right, but you don't know until you yeah, ask. So, um, the Small Business Association from just the government SBA actually has mentorship programs. Uh, so there are free resources available to anyone who wants them. Um, there's a way to get support as a startup. I will link that SBA mentorship program in the show notes for everyone listening I here. Think it's score, if I'm not mistaken. I don't, um, at least that's one of them. There might be more, but I, I remember one called SCORE as an acronym, of course. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love the acronyms. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, Alex, this has been so enlightening and I sincerely appreciate you coming on. I feel like we could talk for a really long time, but um, kind of bef before we leave, do you have any other parting words that you would like to share with the audience before we wrap for today? Oh, I just, um, well, well, thanks for listening. I would say if you know anyone with hearing loss, if you have hearing loss, if you've got family, friends, um, we love to hear your stories. That's really what we're trying to, to understand is who are the people in your lives that are struggling with this problem? And we want to learn as much as we can to see how we can help them. So I would invite people to reach out to us to, to share stories about, about hearing loss. Thank you. And I'll, I'll include a link as well. So it's easy for people to get to. And um, I don't usually mention this, but this is an inclusive podcast and we do have transcripts. So I encourage other podcasters out there to also create transcripts of their shows um, so that more people can have access to that content. 
Alex, thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate you. Um, keep doing the good work that you're doing. And everyone that's listening, please follow along. And Alex, I'll also include his LinkedIn URL here. And just congrats. Keep up the good work. And I hope to um, see you at maybe the next opportunity that arises. I'm sure our paths will, will cross at some point. But thank you so much, Alex, for being on Coffee and Code. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks for having me.